work in the post office for a while and I decided I wanted to be a farmer and the dumbest thing I ever done in my life, but I don't regret it today. I done what I wanted to do. Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from a special guest, George Miller. He's my grandpa and he's in his 90s. He hasn't donated time to biohacking his health, healing his gut, or optimizing his hormones. He's a regular Nebraska farmer, yet he's lived to be 95 years old and actually by the time this interview airs, 96. So I thought, who better to interview than him? Let's hear from someone who is nearly a centenarian what he thinks has contributed to his longevity. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. As I mentioned, today we have a very special guest. Welcome to the show, Grandpa Miller. Welcome to you. <laughs> How old are you, Grandpa, as of today? 95. Are you sure? Well, I'll be 96 in two weeks. <laughs> I think by the time this airs, you're going to be a, a ripe old 96. So that's truly amazing. I can't say that I know many 95-year-olds. So I want to dive into your life story and hear really what your life has been like so that my audience can glean as much as they can from your past experiences. So why don't we start at the beginning? Tell me about your childhood. Where were you born? I was born in a little area called Middle Branch, Nebraska. I think it was just a post office and maybe a store. I really don't remember. <laughs> and how many siblings did you have? Eight. So you're the eldest boy of nine, is that correct? I'm right in the middle. Oh, you're in the middle. I always, I can never get that right. Oh, what kind of meals did you have? What was your nutrition like? Well, we didn't have meat in the uh, summertime because there's no way to keep it, unless it was canned. We eat canned meat and chicken. Okay. And always potatoes and gravy. What about homemade bread? You once told me about some homemade bread. We, we had a lot of homemade bread, yes. What was your daily routine like? Farm chores or what was your life like growing up? Well, it all depends on what stage it was. We always had chores to do and milking to do and cattle to feed. And I think you went to school only through the eighth grade, right? Because your dad wanted you to help him on the farm. That is right. Tell me a little bit more about the manual labor that you did. So I think... You made the mistake, you told me once, of showing you could do a man's work at a young age. So then that was expected of you. <laughs> I, I like to do that, and I did, and my dad was happy for me to do it, I think. So I think you were digging post holes by hand. I mean, you had, you had some pretty hard manual labor. It was all manual labor. Yeah, literally. Feeding the cattle and pitching hay into the barn and cleaning out the barn. Even when we think of technology, like you primarily worked with horses, right? Even before tractors. Yep, quite a while. So one time, I think you said you drove your wagon. I mean, you were like young, eight, seven or eight years old, and you drove a wagon. Tell me about that time. <laughs> well, I was eight years old, and we moved our cattle up by Martin, South Dakota, to Winterham. And I, I drove a wagon. We just slept under the wagon at night, and it was a two-day trip. Was it hot or cold outside? It was fall. It was all right. It was cool. Yeah, my generation pretty much has no idea of that sort of responsibility. 
and manual labor at such a young age. I see you smiling there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was eight years old then. Now, how old were you when you got married? Oh, I don't know. I must have been around 21. Okay. Maybe 23. I'd have to figure it out. Okay. Younger than I was, I'll say that. Could you be missing out on magnesium? If you aren't already taking magnesium, you likely should be. Our deficient food sources, caffeine consumption, stress, and exercise rob us of magnesium, which is an important cofactor for hundreds of processes in the body. It can calm your mind and ease your nerves to help you sleep at night and help reduce anxiety, PMS, and headaches. It can relax your muscles when you have cramps, your bowels when you're constipated, and it's required for energy, hormone production, and vitamin D absorption. If you're interested in exploring more about how magnesium can help support you living a longer, healthier life and the exact type of magnesium supplement to look for, check out my blog post, The Magnificence of Magnesium, found at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash blog. And use code magnesium for 10% off our magnesium chelate product at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now, let's get back to the episode. I want to go back to technology again for a moment here, because did you even have electricity back then? Like, I don't even know. We didn't have electricity until we'd been married a few years. So all your childhood life, no electricity, used horses, not tractors, no telephones, no air conditioning. <laughs> like, no, definitely not. Didn't have any of that. No radio, no television, no internet, no smartphones. You still don't have a smartphone, right? <laughs> I don't want a smartphone. <laughs> You're smarter without one. I think my observation is that lack of technology has maybe contributed to your longevity, right? You still not being addicted to those sort of technologies, not being exposed to a lot of electromagnetic frequencies and whatnot, likely has helped you. My generation gets bombarded with a lot of that, and they're addicted to their smartphones. And I think the smartphones make them dumber, and you probably would agree. I think so. <laughs> so let's talk about your time in the service. So being that you're 95, that's going to put you in the range of World War II. Is that the correct war? Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. So did you serve there? Yeah, I went in in the fall of 1944 and got out in the summer of 1946. Okay. And what did you do on your ship? You were in the Navy. I was in the Navy. I uh, steered the ship. And later on, I just seen that someone else steered it right. Okay. Always been a good driver, I guess. <laughs> you kind of wondered at two or three o'clock in the morning and you're out there and you wonder what you're doing out there. You can't see nothing. It's totally black. All you can see is your compass. Got to depend on that. So tell me about your initiation. You have a story where you crossed the equator. Tell me about that. Well, it was a little bit severe. They they had shillelaghs they made. They made them out of canvas and packed them with K-pod out of life jackets and then soaked them in salt water. And when you went down the line, they was beating on you all the way, the way they initiated you. And years later, I was in the vet's hospital just getting a checkup, and I was still pretty much blotched and didn't look too good, and they wanted to know how come. And I said, well, I think that's leftover from the initiation. Hey, guys, come look at this. Well, that was a little bit embarrassing. Holy smokes, holy smokes. <laughs> Tell us one of your kind of unique joys that you had in New Caledonia um, when you got to see the natives there. We let the natives come aboard ship one day, just the top deck. And the next week when we was in port, why they uh, come down and sang to us and beat on hollow logs for drums. 
and I have never heard such harmony in my life. Of course, we couldn't understand any of the words, but it was beautiful. Tell us uh, and our listeners about the story where you were almost shipped to go on the Indianapolis. This is an important story for our family because you, yeah, you share. On the barracks we were in, there was a big bulletin board with the roster of what ship you was going on. And we were scheduled, or I was, and some other guys too, to go on the Indianapolis. One day they switched us over to the Vincennes. Well, we didn't care what ship we went on, but thank goodness we went on the one we did because Indianapolis was the last ship sunk in World War II. And that was a ship that, um, was it delivering part of the atomic bomb? Yes. Okay. And they got sunk. So had you had been on that ship, I wouldn't be here. Is the picture behind you the ship you were on? Is that what that painting is? Yeah. Wonderful. That ship is one of the smaller ships, smaller than a battleship or a carrier, but it's still longer than two football fields. Still very big. So we know being physically fit and exercise can help the aging process. And I know you, I mean, starting at a young age, you were required to participate in pretty hard manual labor, but also in the service, you were physically fit. And it was discovered that you had some pretty high uh, running speed, pretty fast speed. Tell me about that. Well, this was in boot camp and we was running a relay race. And it was a race where you just run back and forth. And I was the last one to leave and I tied for first place. And then the company commander wanted to get a little contest around and get a little money involved. But I didn't go for that. So basically, you were the fastest guy at boot camp, which was of hundreds and hundreds. Oh, well, they said there was 10,000 men there and everyone had the representatives, so I don't know. Well, for sake of the story, we'll stick with tens of thousands. <laughs> I can't prove it and you can't prove me wrong. Uh, well, I hope those genes have been passed down to my son, William, who is your great-grandson. They certainly, the speed was certainly passed down to my father and my brothers. William seems to be a little speedy Gonzalez, so I think hopefully he's inherited some of that. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about relaxation. So most of my listeners on numerous podcasts have listened to me talk about how important it is to have a calming outlet, some relaxation techniques, strategies to reduce high cortisol to help your body kind of rejuvenate. So through your life, what activities or hobbies have you participated in that you've enjoyed that have served as relaxation for you? Oh, I, I like to fish if I had time to go fishing. I enjoyed that a lot and hunting. And I did, we had a bowling team the, the later years of my life. And I got a few trophies in that. And I, I always liked to dance. Yes. You square dance, right? Yes. Yep, yep. And you fished a lot of places. You fished in Canada, and you enjoy ice fishing. Maybe not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> My dad likes to tell a story about ice fishing where you you knew the trick about, he says it better than me, keeping the worms, the worms warm. <laughs> well, you know, you can tell a kid anything, and I tell him you had to keep them in your mouth to keep them warm. <laughs> well, laughter helps keep you young. So whether that's true or not, it gave us a laugh. Um so speaking of my dad, so family has also been really important to you. So you were in a large family and you have created a large family. So how many children do you have? I have four children or we had four children. 
Yes. And then I think nine grandkids and somewhere around maybe 11 great grandkids and counting. I know there's nine grandkids and I quit counting. Sure. Do you think having grandkids and great grandkids has helped to keep you young? Oh, sure. You've always been very generous with your family and you've always had an open door policy. And I know we all appreciate just growing up, having lots of cousins at the house together and you just offering a safe place for anyone to to stop in, stay for a few days, provide a, a good meal. We've all appreciated that. So so thank you, you and grandma, for being the hostesses with the mostest. <laughs> I think resiliency and adaptability to change are also also character traits of those who have reached the age that you have. And you've gone through many different stressful events in your life, one being when a tornado hit your farm around 1992. So what do you think helped you through when those times hit? Well, you really don't have any choice. So you just have to buckle down and take care of it. But I had some awful good neighbors that helped come to clean up. I think that noon while we fed 35 people, or the ladies did. So community just coming together to help with cleanup. Now, most recently, I think it was 2019, maybe it was 18, you guys got affected by the flood? Yeah. So the Spencer Bridge and the Nybrar Bridge near you got taken out, like literally taken out with all the flooding. So how did this affect you? Well, my farm is 10 miles south of where we live in town, and we had to cross that bridge, and we had to go to another bridge, which made about a 30-mile drive of country roads in order to get to the farm. And we didn't have to be there every day. We just went out to fix fence in the spring. Well, and you also, weren't you guys without water, like for months? Oh, yeah. We had different sources of water, but we had water. Like bottled water, but... And they tapped into some other wells that were in the area. So again, kind of a a challenge not a lot of my generation had experienced until, well, this year in Iowa, we got hit with a derecho. So we were without power for a week. And I don't want to experience that again. No, thank you. That was rough. But it kind of, like you said, you have no choice, but you got to deal with (laughs) the cards you've been dealt and (laughs) move forward. So... A previous guest on my podcast, Dr. Sandy Scheinbaum, talked much about how important curiosity and community both are for longevity. And I think you have both of those traits. So would you, let me ask you, would you consider yourself to be a curious individual or a bit of a risk taker? Oh, yes, we have. I call it plunging. We've made pretty wild investments a time or two, but they all worked out. Let's start with maybe one of your, maybe your first risks. So Tell me the story about you taking your civil service test. Well, I took a civil service test to work in the post office in O'Neill. And when I went in there and seen there was about a dozen people in there, I thought, what in the world am I doing here with my eighth grade education? Because there was people, probably all of them with high school degrees and, and some college students. But I took it anyway and... I was told later by the guy that done the testing that I was done 10 minutes ahead of everybody. So you had more common sense maybe than them? or They were common questions. And so that worked out for you? You did work at the post office for a while, but... I worked for a while, and I decided I wanted to be a farmer. And the dumbest thing I ever done in my life, <laughs> but I don't regret it today. I done what I wanted to do. So you took a big step, big risk. You bought the farm, 
right? And everyone yeah. laughed at you, said you'd never get it paid off, but you did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, years and years ago. So then what happened? So I think you had to adapt, though, as a farmer, because you had some back problems, right? Yeah, I quit farming and we built a motel in town and we moved in and run the motel for a few years. And added on more units there and you had to sell your cattle and equipment at oh, one yeah. point, right? And then you added a dairy dairy mart. Did I say that right? Yeah, we, we built an ice cream place, soft ice cream. So we had the motel and, and the dairy mart, we called it. Right. So you had to decide some other avenues of, you know, revenue generation and then decided to you were able to go back to farming. Right. I got the bug about irrigation. We dug an irrigation well to see if there was water and there was. And I slowly went back and got involved in that big time. So you were the first to put down irrigation in your part of the country. Is that right? In, in this area. Yeah. The family joke is we were hoping for oil, but we got water instead. But I'll still take the water. Yeah, <laughs> Water's better than no water. So I think you, well, having the farm, but also the dairy mart, the hotel, you also built an assisted living in your area. I think that speaks to you being a staple in your community, back to community, and, and how important that is. I was involved in all of those, yeah. So how else have you been involved, like volunteering and whatnot in your community? Oh, I was on the county fair board for many years, and I've been in, I guess, chairman of unlimited amount of different organizations. I've been on three different school boards, so it's there's been a lot of things. And the fire department, right? Oh, yeah, for 37 years. And I think you still volunteer at church on Sundays. I think you are handing out programs. and. <laughs> well, I, I did with that the last year. Okay, okay. <laughs> My legs give out. It's about time. I think your community, um, supporting the community, may have transitioned into supporting the local coffee shops now. Oh, I support that. That's education. Okay. <laughs> so how many times a day do you go to coffee, Grandpa? Be honest. If the weather's fit, I go twice. Okay, okay. Morning and the afternoon. Maybe coffee a day keeps the doctor away. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk about coffee and go back to diet for a minute here. So you were blessed to have homemade meals most of your life. Grandma was an excellent cook. We all can attest to that. Yep. So what what do you enjoy for breakfast? What's been a staple in your diet for breakfast? Bacon and eggs and oatmeal. I like that. I think at one point you told me oatmeal because it was cheap, right? In early life, that was very important. Yeah, but also had good fiber. So. <laughs> and then what what was lunch? Like when you were farming and whatnot, what did you have for lunch? Well, we always had big meals out on the farm in the early years. So we had meat and we had vegetables. We had it all. And potatoes. You like your potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about dinner? Or is dinner basically similar, kind of traditional Midwest? Yeah. And a lot of years I took a lunch to the farm after we moved to town. And I eat lunch. What about your water intake? Did you drink lots of water through your life? Or Always have, yes. That... Yep. Good, good. What about sweets? Do you have a sweet tooth or, or no? Oh, yeah. I like chocolate. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about faith. Also, speaking of church and you volunteering at church, has faith been a big part of your life? Always. Always. I like that. So, again, everything that you've 
been through. One of the things that I note is that you've been very just mentally sharp. You you still can spit me a good joke <laughs> whenever they're visiting. You have a lot of good one-liners. So what do you think, and you don't have to have a perfect answer for this, but what do you think has kept you mentally sharp? Do you think you have good genes? Do you think your nutrition had been good? Or what do you think has contributed to that? I don't know. I think I'll tell you like I heard another guy say, I've left all that to the man with the scarred hands, nail scarred hands. Mm, I've never heard you say that. Interesting. Well, I want to ask if you have any top longevity tips for the audience. Is there anything that I know I'm putting you on the spot here that has stood out through your life? Any tips that you want to share, I should say? I just thought I had a normal life, and that's about all I can say on that. I see you as being just content and still, you know, having joy despite challenges. And like you said, you some things you can't change. You just kind of have to go through them and um, because we don't have control over everything. I think my take home when I think of what we've talked about, you know, just trends again for long overall longevity is that you, again, have been very hard worker from a young age and you've had faith. You've been a family man, drank lots of water, but also coffee. You've had <laughs> had a curiosity and a resiliency through tough times, and you've not been afraid to fail. And, and you've also always given back a lot and been very involved in your community. You've actually been called the king of Spencer, the king of your town, which I suspect is for the, the significant impact that you've had um, on that area and, and legacy that you've left. So I am very proud to call you my grandpa, and that's in part why my son William's middle name is after you, George. His name is William George Gray. So thank you for coming on the show, Grandpa. Thank you for sharing some tips through your life. It was an honor to interview you. Love you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. While diet is one variable to aging, I think in his case, genetics, community, faith, hobbies, curiosity, a great attitude, hard physical work, and family made up the difference. These are things we can strive for, involvement in our communities, giving back, physically working our bodies and our minds daily while still incorporating hobbies, loving others, and keeping our minds right even in tough times. Today, I'm feeling very, very blessed and thankful that one day my little William will get to watch this interview with his great-grandfather, who was 94 years older than him. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.